Welcome to the Don't Die Podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop <laughs> dying. Stop dying, Chuck. Uh, Just stop, stop dying. Stop dying, Mike. Stop dying, Chuck. No, you do Bob. I'm not going to nah, die. Nah, I can't afford to die right now. So uh, we had a we had a fun we had some fun with the coronavirus in the last episode. So what we're going to do now is get back to reality. We're going to get back to recovery. This is don't die this recovery. Is recovery. This radio. is recovery. Uh, one thing recovery I want to talk radio. about. So for some reason, I'm a magnet for all these reco- recovery bloggers, right? Mm. So. So and the, uh, it's just like there's thousands. <laughs> what do you mean of for them? some reason? Because you, you're you're very you're known as the guy. I know, you, but you're I, rehab but, Bob. But I read their blogs like like so they'll like something they'll make. It, I don't really look at people who like things, but people make comments, and if they're intelligent comments, I go look check you know see what their whole thing is, and they're always recovery advocates or recovery bloggers, and they and they always have like. 70,000 followers, 100,000 followers. I got like 5,000 followers. Right away, I feel like insecure, like, oh my God, these people are important. And then I read some of the blogs and they're literally, uh, and and that's what I wanted to talk to you guys about because you you see a lot more 12-step kind of world stuff. They're literally blogging about what it's like to get sober and stay sober. Like it's some unique, special, different thing. Like millions of fucking people have done it and it's always about the same. How is it so new now that in this 21st century weird world, just getting sober and staying sober and you know, getting, that, that it, it gets it, enough to be, that it's to, like deserves all this to kind write of a book blogging. And, yeah. And, to, Have you? Do you know about this? I, I, I see it. I see it's a whole it's I, a whole I, enterprise. Yeah, I, I I don't mind. I don't I, I don't mind it. I just find it fascinating when I was reading these blogs because I was in South Carolina for three days, and I had nothing to do a lot. You know, one of the days, <laughs> and I was just kind of sitting around, uh, like looking read, and I got and became obsessed with reading all these different bloggers, and it's just basically what goes on when you get sober. It's so fucking boring. <laughs> yeah, I it's just kind of life. It's, it's kind of life. life with one hour a day at a meeting is for our first so few novel? years. And then, is that such a unique thing now? I, I don't know who the audience is. I don't know how you'd get 100,000 people unless you're just a great talker. I, I, I walked in on some guys today that were at work and they're watching this guy who's talking about his time in prison. On a phone, you just yeah. made in motion. That yeah, you, were watch, you weren't watching it on a big screen TV. You would have gone like this no, with your hand spreading out. You used a four by four. <laughs> they're sitting there and they're watching, watching a, and an this inspirational speaker on a, And this guy's going, oh, you don't even know, man. And he's talking about his time in prison. And I, they go, hey, do you know this guy? And I said, no idea. Is it Danny Trejo? I, I, no. No, it wasn't anybody that I that was. But there's thousands of them, right? Right. So I, I go. So it's just Mike. A, are you aware of this? I like unpickled. What's un? Oh my unpickled God. is. Uh, we this, we should have known woman, that Mike knows all these people. <laughs> this woman Jean, she's We've got super pretty too. Oh my God! <laughs> so I like to read her stuff. <laughs> Maybe she'll like us someday. Oh my you know. God! Oh, she's great, Mike's though, got a man. crush. Oh, well, she's great. So, so, but what I started thinking is because I like my theorizing. I, I consider myself a, an armchair sociologist, anthropologist, <laughs> uh, anthropologist, social so, so commentator. Yeah, he studies so, human human behavior, yeah. right? And the the evolution of working the steps. I I just can't get off that. I haven't gotten off it for 15 years. When I came into AA, you took the steps. That slowly evolved in my first 10 years of sobriety that the word took was left behind and the new word was work. You work the steps like they're so hard to do. It's so hard to just say, I think I'm perils over alcohol my life's unmanageable. Like, I've seen farmers in Oklahoma do it. Like, it's not that hard. It's not that hard to work. <laughs> Working farmers. as a farmer, getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning and milking cows when covered in mud and shit, 
because that's how they come to the meetings. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. They leave their boots outside though. Nice. But, but I mean, like, is it really hard work to say you're powerless over alcohol and your life's unmanageable to, to like, think about how crazy it is, how you've been living your life as an eternal adolescent dumbass and accept that your, your life is <laughs> elevated to such a narcissistic state that you, you have a hundred thousand followers and you just blog about what it's like to get sober and stay sober. Well, I, I like, I like the idea that if, if you didn't, Put in the work, you don't get the reward, you know. And it wasn't about putting in work to do. You don't get the punishment. I didn't get to stay sober because I did more work than anybody else. I got to stay sober because I was fortunate enough to be able to be found at a certain point in time where it was like, I can't. I refuse to do this anymore, and I can't. And I had the, the clarity. Suffering was too much. The, the pain got to be so much that. The, the pain of being clean was easier than continuing to be loaded, which it's not easy to be clean. It's got to be a fouled up day at my house for sobriety to be a good idea still. So then I started thinking about all these hundred thousand followers. And I, you know, I was, like I said, I was in the hotel for a long time. And I was thinking, so are they all pretty much like you could, you could kind of count on the, the, like say two or 300 ones that I know of. And they have between, 50,000 followers and 170,000 followers. Are they all pretty much the same people that follow all the people? Or is know. it all different people? Like hundreds of thousands of people following these people's journey through their first couple of years of sobriety. Well, you know, we... And I know I'm going to get attacked by them just by talking about well, it. But I just well, don't people understand People like what, to hear positive, you know, positive affirmation. and Go be with human beings. Well, they probably do that too. Bob. I don't think they do. Oh, come on. Really? Do you they? think they just sit because at home when and I go to meetings, and that's it? I went to a meeting in South Carolina. I went to a meeting. I was somewhere else recently. And I, I've been going to meetings. And you don't hear stories. You just hear a bunch of opinions. The same as like watching the news. I literally mm. hear opinions, not what it was like, what happened, what it's like now. Like I, I gave a pitch or whatever, you know, in South Carolina, and literally what it was like was 25 minutes. What happened was 25 minutes. And what it's like now is like 10 minutes. These people have it ass backwards. It's like <laughs> what it was like is 10 minutes, what happens 10 minutes, and then what it's like now is an hour. <laughs> and it's mostly bragging about all the things they've done. You know what I mean? That's oh, what no, I, blogging kind of is, bragging. Well, because it's all in the sobriety state for the most part. So I, I get it. I was asked to speak at a CA meeting, and it was um, it was just a few weeks ago. I was right around when we last did this. And I don't think I'll be asked back, but <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. You know, in a general way, I don't get into a whole lot of... Um, detail because it says in a general way what it was like you know so that people can relate so they can go hey maybe i am one of those too well if you are one of these then you can't don't drink don't use don't run hang out get to know people make a human connection that's the really most basic part of it is find your find your way away from that other life and find your way into one where we're not constantly well i was trying to think of you know looking i i have you know 10 or 12 friends that I talk to on a regular basis, like real friendships. Half of them are from sobriety. I don't think like, oh my God, I know these people. I don't differentiate. I don't know how right. one of them I met because he called me and said he needed to get sober and we just been really close for 12 years now, right? Another one is Anthony, who I've known my whole life, right? It's, yeah, we're both sober, but that, we're, we're, we don't talk about that. We talk no, it, about, does, it doesn't define. But, but there's a whole world that all they do is talk about sobriety and inspiration and working out at the gym and all but, this but isn't that, positive isn't that affirmations. True with early recovery, though? <laughs> isn't, isn't that true with early recovery? I mean, early recovery, I got obsessed with the sober thing. I, I fell in love with the whole thing, man. I was, I, I was in it. And but it's something to do with just thinking people are so important. I, like, it really is. Like, uh, the stuff I was reading, like, dude, I've heard this 10,000 times. You think this is unique? <laughs> I can't imagine that, that, that what I have to say means anything to very many people unless they're going through it or they've been through it. 
Uh, But recovery is specific to all this kind of digital world stuff, right? It's huge. There's a million of them, right? It's huge. And what I started to realize, what's more important to me than recovery? Music. Way more important to me than recovery. Always has been. It was there before I became an addict. It was there when I was an addict. It's it's there through my recovery. It'll be, it's just, music is the most important thing to me, right? There's not that many blogs about music. I went looking for them. I mean, there's (laughs) some... But but nowhere near the amount of bullshit recovery you know, blogs there are. You know what's funny about music? It, <laughs> there needs to be more music, music blogs. But music is music is art, so it's subjective, right? So that means you, no. But it can be what it means to me. What the right. Beach Boys mean to me. What Bob Dylan means to me. It doesn't have to be Bob Dylan's better than John Prine or all that nonsense. I understand that critical stuff, but I'm just talking about. Because these people are talking about their sobriety and, you know, all the slogans and the Tom, you know, the Tony Robbins sayings and, you know what I mean? It's just so weird. And the TED Talks. You know, they asked, somebody asked me to do a TED Talk and I was like, I know some of the people that did TED Talks are like, TED Talks ain't what they used to be. I don't want to be involved in that. (laughs) I mean, it used to be like, you know, Dave Foster Wallace and like really important people. And now it's just like recovery advocates. Oh it's no! Crazy. Like, who would want to do one? Is, there must be a million TED Talks by now. Do people uh, really take it serious? Like when it first came out, it was amazing, right? You'd meet these educators from Poland and these interesting people doing micro banking in India, and it was just fascinating. And now it's just a bunch of bullshit, like everything else. Opinions? Like, uh, no, just like dumb shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? I want to learn something. My- TED Talks should be called Dumb Talks. <laughs> really should. Have you been on the radio? No, I got, I, I got yeah. the app. Let's let's blast through here and see what the newest recovery advocate no. is. But anyways, I, I know recovery is fun. To, and, and the term recovery advocate means you're advocating some recovery, right? Okay. I mean, that's basically I, it. I would assume that you're, you're saying it's a good thing. I'm not real educated, but I'm, I'm thinking that is. But that's not what comes out. What comes out is they're advocating themselves, right? It's all about them and how many followers they have and how much money they're making and how much abundance they have and all this. You know about abundance? Abundance is a new politically correct term for making money. <laughs> They're attracting abundance. They're attracting <laughs> abundance, Mike. Mike, you need to attract more abundance. You need to center yourself, Mike oh, Martin, no, and I attract don't. abundance into your life. You need to Open manifest your it. heart up. You manifest abundance, Mike. No. It's just such bullshit. And Not then I realize it just reinforces everything I know about America at this point. Like people are really lis- watching those. Like you said, those guys are watching this thing, getting semi pseudo inspired to become narcissistic themselves and think that they're so important and this is the exact opposite and this is why i wanted to present this gloria scott told me i got nothing coming gloria scott told me you feel sorry for yourself all the time you won the lottery the day you were fucking born a white middle class male in the united states of america in the last half of the 20th century stop fucking whining stop thinking about yourself so much start thinking about others start thinking about your son start thinking about what you can do for other people that is what i consider recovery not this (laughs) bullshit that i'm seeing on the internet the feel good what the feel good stuff because that's challenging and it's it's challenging in ways that i wanted to be like that i knew that that was the way to be that that would remove me of my self-obsession and my poo-butt problems, right? And I did it, and it worked, and it still works. And when I think of other people instead of myself, I have a better day. If I think about what I can do for somebody else who's still suffering, my suffering is diminished. If I think about, and it's just all the St. Francis prayer. I never hear the St. Francis prayer quoted in the bloggers, in the recovery advocates. <laughs> He's not real popular with the narcissistic no. recovery advocates that are really just advocating themselves, right? Uh, well, a lot of people do. They're, they, they're trying to make brands of themselves. It's, it's funny that you say that. The other day I was talking to Warren of all people, and he goes, you know, my grandma, my grandma used to hit me with a spatula and say, you know, you were given the gift of life and you don't appreciate it. That's it. 
you know, you just, you don't appreciate it. You know, we're here to, and it was during the same discussion. It was like, you know, he, someone asked him like, what, uh, what do you think the purpose of being a human being is? And he, he goes, you know, it took a long time to get to this, but it's about giving and receiving love that, you know, anytime we've got angry people or we've got people that are dysfunctional in some way, it seems like there's a shortage of that. But and you were just talking about giving love by being of service. If I'm bringing light to the, the things that but are dark. But it doesn't have I'm, to be in the AA. It can just be no, like. No, it's everywhere. It, it can be like helpful to, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to, you know, it's like bragging about being humble or something. But but it's, <laughs> it's the most this humble. idea. It's the idea that we, I was taught something that was very valuable and changed me not changed my life not made me more money not made me more famous or more popular it changed me and i don't think this narcissistic bullshit is changing anybody and so i believe that's why people are still anxious they're still depressed they're still battling these kind of internal insecurities and all this kind of stuff because they're going after the wrong thing selflessness is the solution to selfishness not doing selfish in a new, shiny, bright, <laughs> humble way. You know what right. I mean? And it, it's just crazy. And I, I think about Gloria all the time. Like, what, what, you know, what would she be thinking right now? I mean, she would hate Trump for sure. But um, <laughs> I think she would. I, she'd Most def people. She'd definitely be a Bernie person for sure. But And we would argue about it. But I, you know, that's another thing. I could argue with her. And she loved me, and I loved her, and we were respectful of one another. That that's gone too. Mm -hmm. Is it is it all just going to be like this? And you know, I, I just I I think that the recovery community needs to do a real gut check and start being real. You know, and I I've seen it in pockets. I've seen it in Milwaukee. I've seen it in South Carolina. I've seen it in. Uh, South Central Los Angeles. I think people get much more real. I went to a meeting down on Figueroa and 156th Street. Um, I think that's where it is. Um, like people are getting real, but not in the gentrified areas that I mainly are in. You're in a you're, well. You, Huntington Beach never meant to be gentrified. It was started by the Ku Klux Klan, wasn't it? Oh, <laughs> well, originally we started it started like that. Started a bunch of surfers, man. <laughs> but we, we, we could never oh, get away with of, KKK Beach. Was there a bunch Beach. of surfers of color that started Huntington Beach? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was surfers are uh, one, Simo one Simone guy? <laughs> Most, yeah. it, was, it was the first. But I mean, I know I'm not even going to go there. Nueva. I'm not even going to go there because it's too easy and it's a Nueva. rabbit hole. I don't Mike want. knows the history of Huntington Beach. There was uh, one guy. David Nueva. <laughs> Well, there's there's the only awesome statue dude. the only statue down there is of a, a Hawaiian, of a Hawaiian man. guy, right? Yeah, but yeah. the mean, same statues all over the coast, all over the world, though. Yeah, one right? of the things so, is it a Duke of Hanamoka? Yeah, but there's yeah, there's, all there's, over there's, the there's no world. there's no no white guy statue down so there. So here's an interesting thing: I grew up in Inglewood, right by the Forum, and in Palm Springs. I had never been around places that had fences around them, the houses. Right when I was growing up, nobody had fences between the houses, nor you had fence around your backyard to keep your dog <laughs> in, but you didn't have fences on the front. You didn't have mm -hmm. gates on the front. Hey, wait, is this from the movie The Jerk? No, no, no. <laughs> is it? I don't know. Maybe I am. I was jerk. born a black child. No, black child. no. Um, but but there was no fences, and in Palm Springs, there's none. Like literally none mm -hmm. you just walk from one neighbor's house through the other golf course in the middle it was just like no fences and my sister is the first one to move to huntington beach right on heil and and uh on Zeke heil uh, heil by the little lake there <laughs> yeah uh, no no kidding that one of the streets in huntington beach is called heil yeah. heil hitler oh, God. Right? <laughs> So, oh, God. Oh, no, do you not think you need to look into the history of your town? <laughs> okay, so so she moved there, and I remember we were going to visit her for the first time, and we came down. What's the street you come off the twenty two four hundred five that Marina's on? Is that Bolsa Chica? Bolsa Edinger. Edinger. So we're coming down Edinger, and we make a left on Hile, and I saw the cement fences around the house and i thought oh my god this is like a richie neighborhood 
you know, because the only time you ever had big cement fences around houses was in Beverly Hills. They're not fences, Bob. They're walls. They're They're, giant, giant ugly brick walls. Yeah, but I was, you know, I was like 14. I didn't know. So then we pulled in and there was brick walls between her and her neighbor's houses. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, what are they keeping out or keeping in? (laughs) They're keeping out the prying eyes, man. Look, Mike's all advocating for HB right no, now. No, I'm not. I'm just saying I hate those walls, man. But I, what were I the walls the, I, about? What okay, was the purpose of imagine, the Huntington okay, Beach Okay, Chuck, wall? for you, for that. Imagine all of Huntington Beach and all those walls down. Imagine how beautiful it would be. Just a bunch of fucking houses and people walking around. You know what I'm talking about, Heil. I do, Bob, exactly. Edding, I hate Ed it. Warner and Edinger. Like, it's just cement cinder block walls Every, all around everything. Everything. You, you know, everything. all the way down Brookhurst, all the way down Bouchard, all Warner. the way down Newland, uh, There's, it's pretty much walls and streets. Well, what is it? What I'm asking is, how, where does that come from? <laughs> Who decided that? Uh, no why would you what? ask me? I, I, I'm from Michigan. We moved there when I was five. Michigan I didn't has build no it. fences. I know. None. They don't even have some... My grandma and grandpa's house didn't even have a driveway. It just had two ruts leading up to it. it and I just bitching. felt like, you know, you're moving into what looks like a prison colony. It really <laughs> does. It looks like, uh, you know, Alcatraz or something. Like you're trying to keep things out or keep things in, right? That's what fences are for, right? To keep people out or keep something in. Okay. A dog in, Mexicans out, right? <laughs> no. You think, you think that's what the Trump <laughs> wall is? Make no mistake. 41% of the Americans who vote, uh, 41% of the people who voted, voted for Trump because he was going to keep the Mexicans out. <laughs> Think well, about that. Oh, wait, I'm trying to follow how we went People. from Huntington Beach yeah. to Well, I'm trying to, to figure out why there's <laughs> walls all over Huntington I, Beach. I think, oh it was just an, I think it was just an, a, a uh, like a construction thing that they know. did. I don't know. I wasn't they, there. They, they do it in other neighborhoods, too. <laughs> it was like a style that when they all built those places, they decided to put There's no place in Los Angeles like I, that. I, I'll tell you, downtown Huntington Beach doesn't have them. No, they don't. Downtown Huntington doesn't. No. It's weird. But neither, neither does my neighborhood. No, it does on the other side. Not downtown, right in the downtown area, but anywhere off of that street. Oh, yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. From, But that's old. That's old. That wasn't built in the 70s. But anyways, All that stuff. Well, we don't, we don't want to go down rabbit hole, and you're going to have to edit some of this, but I'm just fascinated, <laughs> no, by, I'm, no, but I'm fascinated by walls. I, I don't, yeah, any walls around here? There's no walls around my neighborhood. There's no walls anywhere. <laughs> no, there should be, though. You have bears. <laughs> no, but I mean, <laughs> if you had walls, <laughs> wouldn't get in here. The bears wouldn't come in here. I, I hate to say it, and, and the kids didn't notice over the weekend, but I think our cat got taken oh, out. By see, the, there was a wall. We've got a, a bobcat right here living in the barn behind this house. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the cat hasn't been coming around for uh, food. That happens, man. And she lived through Joshua Tree. She's lived oh, everywhere. No. She lived in Beechwood Canyon where there's hawks that pick them up and fly them way up and <laughs> drop them and <laughs> no, eat them. No. You know how they do that? No. <laughs> so I was sitting with Dave Jordan one time. This is a music story. Dave Jordan produced some of the greatest albums ever made, Jane's Addiction and Alice in Chains and Chili Peppers. And he's a great guy. And he lived by Hollywood Lake. And we're sitting there and he's nervous. His cat's out on the, on the wooden deck by his house. And I'm like, he's all like, oh, the cat's got to get inside. I was like, well, cats come and go. <laughs> what are you talking about? He goes, no, watch. They, these hawks go around and they look for domestic cats. And they swoop down, pick them up, fly way up high drop them the cats die they don't live they don't have nine lives (laughs) if you take them them high enough they don't have nine lives and then they come down and eat the cats right Hmm. and i remember i was sitting with dave jordan the great music producer and he showed me like that's what goes on with these cats and i think either the bobcat got uh the cat coyotes there's a lots of coyotes in these areas and they eat they eat cats yeah but she's dodged coyotes for 10 years Maybe right? she just got old, missed a tree. Maybe she didn't make it over that fence. Anyways, her name's Gilda after, and this is going to get Chuck with another movie. Have you seen the movie Gilda with Rita Hayworth? Oh, yeah, it's my favorite. <laughs> oh, I haven't even I, I seen was, that. I, I, I just watched it on my phone this morning. <laughs> <laughs> what the? 
You're catching <laughs> on, buddy. Yeah, he is. So Rita yeah, Hayworth, is. probably the most beautiful woman that ever lived, is in this movie Gilda, and so our cat's named after Gilda, the Rita Hayworth movie. Okay. Right? Movies are important, people. Music is important. <laughs> Art is important. Your, yep. Your personal journey of recovery is not that important. <laughs> oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ. It's, if it's inspirational mm. and people are getting inspired. The by only it, then value, who are you to say the it's not? only value because it's not the only value it has is so a suffering person can identify with what your journey has been like. And if it's all bragging about yachts and working out, when a junkie is like living under a, a freeway overpass in Huntington Beach, although you know down there and going to the to, you know stealing shit to get dope they're not really inspired by how much you work out every day they're inspired by the fact that you were just like them that you slept under a freeway off-ramp that you were a junkie that you did de debased and demoralized yourself and ruined your life for drugs and now you're not that's what AA is based on, not how great your life is, how inspiring you are, how many times you went to the gym. It's not that. That is mm -hmm. alienating to suffering addicts. It is not inspiring. But the narcissists tell themselves that it is inspiring, though they probably never meet someone that gets inspired by it. You know, that does seem kind of counterintuitive because a lot of people don't even understand like in the... um. You have you know, to stick to what it was like, what it, happened, what your life is like now. In in the promises, it doesn't say there won't be financial insecurity. It says fear, fear of, fi of fear financial insecurity. And I think people get that confused when they go, I haven't been without work. You know, I've been without work. You've, you've hooked me up with a couple jobs, the yeah. current one and the one before. You know, so it's like, I've, I've been, never been so. But but I wasn't worried. It wasn't like I, I knew that if, as long as I was well, doing what I needed better. to do. I was scared. I was 40. What was I in 2010? I was uh, 40, 50 years? No, how? 40 years old. <laughs> I don't even know how to do math. It was 10 years ago. In 2010, how old was I? 10 years ago. How oh, old are I you was now? 49. Okay, I was 50. I was 50. <laughs> I was unemployed. I had no savings. I had no money. I had like my severance, which was like $7,600. <clears throat> and I went to a guy who had always said he would hire me, right? And I asked for a job, and he goes, oh, no, after what's happened in Los Encinas, you're too hot to handle. I'm not taking that, uh, you know, focus. Because they had said we killed clients and oh, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Kind of a bad PR, we all do that bad on purpose. PR thing. So um, I remember it being in the parking lot of the Rose Cafe in Venice, California, thinking, wow, I'm f this is the first time I've been frightened in a long time. I knew, I, you know, I didn't know what I was going to do. Luckily... I could downsize enough because I had the Joshua Tree House that was $475 $475 a month for five acres and one bedroom house. So I could get rid of my apartment in LA and just kind of try to regroup. And that's what I did. But I remember being frightened, scared. Like, what does it all mean? I made it. And I felt like I made a mistake somewhere in my recovery or in my sobriety. I've made a mistake in my way I do things. And it was real soul searching, but I stayed sober. It wasn't like I was going to use over it, but that was a scary time. And it was a scary time until even through Hollywood recovery, which was my first go round of trying to have a rehab. I was scared a lot of the time because I didn't know if I didn't get another client, I wasn't going to be able to pay the staff, mm -hmm. right? Or not pay myself, which I was going to pay myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just being honest. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I made it every month. But you know what it's like? When I, I would sometimes find a client on the 28th and I literally was not going to be able to make payroll on the first. Hmm. That's that's financial insecurity. That and and it is fear of fear of it. Now, in the end, did I know? Well, I'll just have to say we made a good try, we tried it and I failed and go work in a restaurant or something. Yeah. I wasn't fearful of like losing my sobriety or losing oh, my no. mind or anything but i definitely was scared of letting people down like i hired you know people left their jobs to come and work for me and now i wasn't able to make a go and you know why i wasn't able to make a go because people didn't think that people would stay sober in hollywood 
Well, that's probably true because it's L.A. And oh, we know L.A. is just... <laughs> Everybody knows you have to be in downtown Huntington Beach yeah, if, to stay sober. You know, no, but, you, you know, that this is, once again, prejudice, people wanting to just write things off as to the hows, the whys, and we don't really understand... But I would tell the moms that would say, well, I don't know, can he live, can he not live in Hollywood? Is that your only facility? And I'd be like, I live here. Like, my kid lives There's here. There's a whole lot of sobriety and everywhere. I, and then I would get kind of rude, like, isn't he on heroin in wherever the fuck you live right now? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then I'd lose the client, of course, for <laughs> saying whatever the, where the fuck you live. <laughs> <laughs> Your flyover state, bitch. <laughs> somewhere somewhere between the Holland Tunnel and the fucking 605 freeway. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know how many times in my lifetime, because I am, I am uh, not... Am I, what am I, elitist, prejudice? I don't know. But I, depends I on who you're talking say, to. <laughs> I, yeah, so you, you decide. So, one of my favorite sayings, what blog you're reading? My favorite saying, what blog you're reading? I'm sure there's going to be some recovery bloggers not unliking me. So, unliking. so I used to say, the, um, the, at the 605 freeway, the United States ceases existing and then it takes up the Holland Tunnel. There's only two real United that's, States. That's, California and New York City. Yeah, that's... And all the rest is bullshit. Sounds like something a young man would say. I was in my 30s. <laughs> oh, no. No, see, I expect that from a... But you were a new sober. You, you were, you were not sober. I was not sober. There you but go. But you know where it went over well? New York City and Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah, it did. Played like gangbusters. Played like gangbusters. <laughs> Run that shit Where every was Thelonious Monster most popular? <laughs> New York, York City and Los Angeles. Right. Who would want to be popular somewhere else? There's at least three states between here and there. <laughs> at least. Oh, my God. You know how long it is when you're flying back. Did you notice <laughs> that it takes longer to get back than it takes to get there? Why is that? Because the world turns. Is it really? It is. No. Yes, is it? it is, Bob. I thought yeah. it was something it, to do with no, wind. No, it's because you're going against you're, it. You're either going with it or against <laughs> it. Going. One way is Got it. Shorter. I just, I just, you know, I, I had to poop on the plane, which was a bummer. It's because it left early and I hadn't pooped. Did you so touch it. your penis? <laughs> no. Are we going there But again? I washed my hands and I had the Clorox thing. But, but so... So I literally, like, I had, pink I had going to the bathroom problems on the way to the airport, oh, and then God. I couldn't go at the airport, and then I get on the plane, I think everything subsided, I took some Pepto-Bismol, and then it hit me, I had to poop on the plane, I went, I finally got that all taken care of, I sat in my seat, fell asleep, woke up in South Carolina, how great is that airline flight, other than the pooping problem? Like you go to sleep literally 45 minutes into the flight and you wake up and they're saying, oh, shoot, we'll be down to South Carolina. (laughs) Was your pilot drunk? No, you can't hear because I I don't buy those headphones and I don't have beat headphones like everyone else. I know. So I I only hear it through the little transistor radio in the plane. Every time I get on a plane, I want a neck pillow and some bitching headphones the, all the kids have that i like who uh did you sit all three of you did you did you all sit in one no room? i do, only i went and so oh, on the way there did, what seat did you have i was on an aisle in the emergency room area okay so at least area. you got an armrest right yeah and i and i uh, that was a great so then i just get there i literally you know get on the plane little tummy problem poop come back to your seat you fall poop. asleep wake up you're there Perfect. coming back was like 19 hours. <laughs> it's at least 19 hours. <laughs> I was awake the entire time. Four hours and 59 minutes, apparently. Did you bring a book? No, I, I got the Wi-Fi that you can um, text message. So I was text messaging You know, that's, that's the only thing that saved my life on flights, doing all those uh, flights for the uh, transportation place. Right. Man, a book, people don't bother you. And it doesn't it, it doesn't wig your eyes out, and it's the only time that I wish the flight was longer, because you know you really? get you get two three hundred pages into something. Well, I had this thing where I wanted to pick the kids up at school, so here's I did I love I love the flight back. I I don't I like being somewhere and meeting people. I don't like 
planning it or going there or buying the tickets or hotels or any of that. I just like meeting the people where I go and I love getting home. And I did this in 2003. <laughs> it was one of the greatest days of my life, Mike. Mark, do you want to hear what it was? Yes. <laughs> I woke up. So I went on tour with the Chili Peppers and I was there for like two weeks, three weeks. And I woke up in London. So when I woke up, and the Chili Peppers play, stay in nice places. I don't know if you're aware of this. They're pretty successful. I, I've heard they have so some money. I outside the window of my hotel, Big Ben. Nice. Swear to God. Looking at Big Ben. I go downstairs, a cab to the airport. My flight flies to Paris. Then I change planes to fly to Los Angeles. So I wake up. And this one, I'm smoking, smoking a cigarette, having coffee, looking at Big Ben. Get on a cab, go to the airport, get on a plane, landing in Paris, see the Eiffel Tower, right? Hour layover, get on a plane, fly home to Los Angeles on the same day and ran group at work. I woke Ooh. up in London, saw Big Ben, went to Paris, flew to Los Angeles and went to work. It was so fucking cool. And I told everybody all day, you know, when I woke up, I saw Big Ben and then I went to Paris and saw the Eiffel Tower and I'm here running a fucking group in the rehab on the same day. I'm, I'm, <laughs> okay. It's amazing what second. we can do in life. It's too bad you didn't blog that shit. <laughs> exactly. Because you could have you could have changed that the world. exactly what the bloggers <laughs> want to hear, Bob. They want to hear that everyday mundane. God damn it. I wish there was... It, it didn't happen. Because I must have it's told not, 20, 30 people, you but know. But it, it, there's no pictures. Didn't happen. <laughs> you would have had 20,000 followers oh, on my that God. fucking blog. And so you want to hear the story of why I went out there? Why'd you go out there, Bob? So, you know, we have this tight-knit group that doesn't communicate all that well. I don't know if we, you know about that. We've kind of discussed it here on the okay. podcast over the years. You know, it's a bunch of trauma-surviving older guys, and we're not the best at communicating, whether it's me and Mike or Mike and Pete or me and Anthony or whatever. We try our best, but sometimes we miss <laughs> the mark. So I'm at breakfast with him, and he goes, what are you doing? And I said, I'm starting a job uh on january 1st and he goes why don't you come out on the road with us and i was like i didn't even ask him to do what i said okay and he goes okay and then we just went to eight <laughs> right okay so so i didn't know why and it was like this thing it was ill-defined or whatever so um this is in the, be the beginning of december nothing christmas goes by i'm over fleas for christmas nothing no mention of it whatever I start the job on January 1st. On like January 10th, Anthony says, are you coming on the road with us? And I said, well, we never had any follow-up conversation. He goes, oh, I thought you talked to so-and-so. Okay, well, we're leaving on the 17th or something like that. And I was like, what, why am I, wh what am I doing, actually? And he goes, why don't we talk about it when we get there? And I was like, okay. Okay. And so right away when I started at Los Angeles, I had to take- I, I like this I already. That's so cool. two weeks off. Two weeks off, right? So we're, I fly in separate planes. They, like I'm in coach on another flight and I meet them in- You're in the cattle car. Yeah, like in the cattle <laughs> with, car. With the cats. Right? <laughs> He's but down there I, letting all the animals but out. But <laughs> I meet them. I forget where it was, what country it was. And I get there and- you know, and Anthony says, oh, come up and hang out. And then I get up in his room and he goes, you're here for a reason. And I said, I assumed that. And I was, I, you know, I'm not, I can't play music. I'm not a musician. So I wasn't there to play music. Um, not the best with finance. So I wasn't there. As a <laughs> you weren't person. running the books. <laughs> <laughs> you mean they didn't trust and, you with the books? Safe to say and, you weren't uh, accounting. <laughs> so I was there as a abstinent companion there you oh, go sober coach no, a sober companion no, no they called him something different no it wasn't for drugs it wasn't any of the band it was somebody that worked for the band oh they had a sexual compulsion oh, oh we know who that is so then i oh yeah mike knows who it is so then i go so what's it entail and he goes you're just gonna room with them and make sure nothing happens and I go, wait, so I go, I go, does he know about this? And he goes, yeah, I think so. And I go, I'll bet he does. Oh, uh, you think so? He knows that I'm 
what he knows why I'm here. He goes, I don't think he knows why you're here, but he'll know why you're here. Why you're here once you're here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that was fucking great. <laughs> so, so then I go, whoa, and he's one of my best friends, right? So I go, well, where is he? And he goes, and he tells me the room. I go up to the room. Uh-oh. <laughs> I oh, already, no. I already failed at my job before I even got oh, there. Uh-oh. There was an actual things going on. So I'm oh, knock, shit, knock, knocking on the door. He comes to the door naked. What are you doing? I go, dude, I'm supposed to be rooming here. He goes, not right now. You're not. <laughs> oh, my. So I had to go down in the lobby and wait for like two hours. <laughs> wait, two then hours? I'm, then I'm trapped until he came down with the girl to have her go wherever she was going. So then I'm trapped um, having failed at my job, not really knowing my full capacity of my job responsibilities. <laughs> and I failed at it right off the bat before I even started it. Mm -hmm. And then we go up in the room, we're sitting there, and he's like, he goes, I know why you're here. And I go, fill me in, because I'm just barely catching up. And he goes, you're going to support me to not act out. And I go, okay, how do you do that? Right? Because this is not before this right. point. This is 20 <laughs> years ago. It wasn't like, it was 17 years ago. Nobody knew about sex addiction. He goes, well, you're just going to, I'm gonna, I need to confide in you when I want to act out. And I go, I don't, I don't. What How, the fuck does that How work? the fuck does that work? <laughs> exactly. I'm gonna tell you. I'm, I'm about some to sex. touch it. And you say you can Don't. either watch or oh, you can leave. Oh my god! It was Jesus. the most uncomfortable 14 days of my life, and I failed every day, every <laughs> night at it. Every day. Who can? Who can Whoa. fucking do it? Did you so, should have just gotten a pitcher of ice so water? <laughs> I was such an utter failure, but those guys loved me so much. Flea comes to me and goes, not going so well with, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> I was like, I, I really know. I don't know. I feel so bad. Like, and uh, he, goes, he goes, no, well, don't worry about it because I need you anyways. And now I'm feeling I'm spot inspired, right? <laughs> oh, shit. oh my God, I'm needed. I'm not a failure, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, but you so were. So I go, what's the deal? And he goes, you know, he said, you know, my daughter's coming on the road. I want you to just just take them around. She's got a couple friends with her. You just kind of make sure they stay out of trouble and blah, 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 blah. And I go, Make sure they don't okay. end up in the room. Oh, it got, it got worse. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, no. So he goes, and this is in Manchester. And he goes, so you're going to fly down to London because they're getting in in like four hours. You're not going to stay for the show. And I go, okay. So then I flew down from Manchester to London. I stayed at the airport. I met her and her friends. Everybody, oh, she, you know, I love his daughter. And just, it was great. We went and ate. I checked them into the hotel. I'm feeling like really great. I think I say, if there's anything you guys need, you know, I'm in this room, you know, but have fun and, blah, blah, blah. you know, they're all like 15 years old. I'm sitting there um, smoking cigarettes, watching English TV, just feeling like now I've got a job I can do. Right? Yeah. Nanny Bob. Phone rings. Sleep. Uh, where is she not answering the phone in her room? I was like, oh, no, 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 no. Bob is taking care of all this. She's probably asleep. Mm. So I go, I'll go check on it. I go, knock on the door, no answer, knock on the door, no answer, knock on the door, knock on the door, knock on the door, right? Did texting, you, knock, 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 texting, Penny. knock, 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 Penny. knock on the other door, because it's like two-door room, knocking on the other door, mm. no answer. It's like one o'clock in the morning in London. I've uh -oh. been on the job for four hours. Jesus, Bob. Wait till you hear. I go back to my room. As I'm walking in, I notice something I didn't notice walking out. A note that was slipped under my door. <laughs> <laughs> Here's what the note said. Bob, didn't want to bother you. We went out to go see the sights. Uh. Do they know that England is like a real city? <laughs> it's not like Disneyland? <laughs> no, they saw the sights all right. Oh, no. Uh -uh. So I failed at the second job, too. And then shortly afterwards was the London to Paris. To go. <laughs> and when you failed. <laughs> so, so I just, you know, that was just a friendship thing. I wasn't getting paid. I'm just trying to help. I just like, I'm a failure at that kind of stuff. You were great at it. I couldn't, I can't do it. 
sober companions, sober interventions, driving uh, people to rehab. I love that my, stuff. How, how did, I, I love what, that. Well, what did I do wrong there? Not getting all the information before I went. You trusted the kids. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, see, that's, you got to you got to act. You, you but about the about the about the the keeping him from acting out. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't how know. How do you do that? I don't know how you do there's, that. There's, it's, dude, Mike. The, p- these people get paid fifteen hundred dollars a day to keep people from acting um, out. No, for I don't. I don't know how you do it with the sex, but I know with the drugs and alcohol, you you keep you keep contact. You keep an open dialogue. You communicate. You, uh, you, you see, you I establish would do it completely it. different. <laughs> oh my, let's hear Mike's, I, let's hear Mike's just, version of I sober companion. strong arm a man. You know what I mean? I mean, that's the only way you can do it, really. Some, it's some, like, hey, some of these fellows leaving, will, will you're react. You're going to have to go through me to get through the door. <laughs> okay. <laughs> What's wrong with that, Chuck? Isn't that a good way? Of, no. It's a terrible well, way. Well, listen, Bob used it to take people for out John to the Belushi. desert. I did no. But, yeah, you, you got to trick them. See, I I could trick you people. Trick them, and get them you out. Know that's I, that's how you do it. Like I had I had a guy that that kicked his wedding picture and took a piece of the glass and told me he was going to stab me if I didn't get out of his way. And so, uh, what'd you do? I, what'd you do? I told him that all the noise he was making. I know that the police have been called, and would he rather go to Betty Ford or to jail today and he said I was in a hotel? No, he was in his place in Santa Monica. Oh my god. And it was it was a mess. That day was a freaking But frickin- you made way more money doing that, right? Yeah. It's crazy, Mike. You could, you should get into that, Mike. That's Maybe just transport. Mike's- That's just you go to their house, pick them up and take them wherever they need to go. You go to the airport, you get on a plane with them, you fly them where they need to go. If it's too late to catch a could flight Mike back, you that? spend the night. Yeah. Mike. <laughs> yeah, I can do it. We could we could do this thing. Uh, yeah, I, I would do it. I would do it full time, but it, I don't want to be away from the house that much well, right now with Bug. You know, and then the other story was I, you know, I'd had I just, I had had a sober companion in 1990 and I just thought it was the goofiest shit in the world. Right. And so, you know, I got, when I first got sober in 96, 97, people offered me, Hey, you want to come on the road with us? And like, and I never decided like that, like what Mike is saying, how would you stop somebody who wants to use? Right. I think it's their right to use. I'm not. I'm not in the business of preventing people from. Yeah, their- but these are people that don't really want to to begin with, and it's just it's a different with everybody. There's a different way of handling everybody. You get to know them. The same mistake old timers make at the meetings by not listening to the newcomer before they start telling them what they need to do. You know, you listen to the person. And you get to know a little bit about them. You get them to tell their story. You get to gain their trust. And they start thinking, because you've got to be it. If you're not going into it, trying to say, I want to help this person succeed at what they're trying to do. That's the idea. Not that I'd be successful because people have gotten drunk. People have gotten loaded. People have offered me a lot of money to not take them where they wanted, where they're supposed to be going. Oh, and, I, Mike would have <clears throat> taken that. Dude. Okay, let's go to Oklahoma. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> That that same guy on the way to uh, Betty Ford, he was doing a pre pre served interview with the guy. Yeah, and he goes, and he was telling me, "I'll, I'll give you a thousand dollars if you stop over here, get gas, and tell him I took off." And I'm going, you know what, man, I can't do that. Let's just get you where you're going anyway. He's doing the pre served interview, and the, the guy asked him, "Have you ever been in a, a mental mental hospital, mental mental facility?" And he said, "Yes, once." And he said, "Why?" And he goes, "Because I, I killed my wife's cat." And the guy went, and he goes, the guy went silent on the other end of the phone. And he goes, the crazy guy goes, you're not a cat, are you? (laughs) (laughs) And the guy goes, uh, no. He goes, are they good? Then we shouldn't have a problem. Oh my God. (laughs) That's the guy that knows his, (laughs) knows his weaknesses. So get this. So Buddy Arnold, the great Buddy Arnold kept trying to get me these sober companion jobs and they would come up and i'd say like and i would always like if it was with a band i didn't like i'd be like buddy i can't be around that that (laughs) shitty music for fucking three weeks so one time he he calls me and goes i got a job for you if you want it and i said you know that we could do this is like the seventh one he had offered me and i said no to six in a row and i go you know i just i'm not interested in that going kissing ass some musician trying to keep him from drinking when they're going to drink anyways and he goes listen to what the job is and i said okay who is it and he goes leonard skinner isn't that one of your favorite bands and i said i'd be interested <laughs> in talking to them <laughs> 
And so nobody said it like he could care less. Yeah, he didn't you, even you know who they were, but who? he had heard me talk about Leonard Skinner yeah. and Led Leonard, Zeppelin. Isn't, isn't he one of your favorite singers? But listen to this. Yeah, but listen to this. So he makes the arrangement for me to meet the guy a couple days later at his office. I go to the office. Um, they're already there. The road manager of Leonard Skinner's there, and the member of Leonard Skinner is there, who, God rest his soul, one of the greatest bass players of all time. Um, you know, made some of the greatest music of my lifetime. So I walk in, and the road manager is about six foot five, wearing a cowboy hat, you know, the, the old cowboy okay. boots, built big belt buckle. And he looks at me and goes, and he looks at Buddy and he goes, Is this the guy? <laughs> and I was like, uh, yeah, I'm Bob. And I went to shake his hand. He looked at Buddy and goes, oh, no, we need a big guy. This ain't going to work. Oh, no. <laughs> that's the one that job, ain't work. The <laughs> one job I would have taken going on the road. But I, no, that, I've never had, never had to do that. I've had to, you know. They wanted a big think, guy. Never had to, I've had to think on my feet. I've walked with people to stores. Like I had a guy in Newport Coast that would just, it would just the bell would ring and he's got to go to the Gelson's to go get his vodka. And I would, I would call the store. I had the number of the store and I'd you say, call the number uh, of the I store? would say, I would, I had the number for the manager and I would say, we're coming down. He's going to be walking in. Cause he would walk into a store, go straight. He did it once on me. Take a guzzle goes out of it. Straight to the vodka, spins a top yeah, and drinks it in the yeah, store. Yeah. And it, I used to do that. Yeah, I I get it, but it's just like one of those things where I, I asked But my, I would oh. guzzle it and then put it back because I couldn't afford it. <laughs> no, no. Hey, grab it. Dude, dude had money and, and a bitchin' big old house, but it was empty because his family wasn't in it. It was so sad. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> well, there, there went that. Oh, you know what? That so reminds me. You, like, do you get paid still if they use? Oh, yeah. No, but your job is over, isn't it? You know, it, it depends on what it is. I don't like... I... I haven't I haven't done as much of that where it's like sober babysitting as I have done the transports. And like with the transports, like I've told people, I'll make you a deal. If we don't stop at any of the bars in the airport, you can get two drinks on the plane or something like that because I'm just trying to get them to a facility. I don't want them to get sick. And but I there's, don't, but, but if you're the, trying to stay, keep them completely off of everything, that's it, that's a different. That's but the different idea work. is you just that gotta, you got to do some muscle. No, but work. if a tour is going to be canceled, that it really comes down on you. Because I remember when the Bicycle Thief was opening for a band, and that guy had a sober companion, the singer of that band. I'll say he's, he's passed. Scott Weiland had the sober companion. Everything was going good. When Scott was sober, I was on the tour. Fashani was. We're all sober. Anthony, we're all sober. So he kind of did all right for about two weeks. And then hit Portland and he got drunk and then he was looking for Coke and he got Coke and he was smoking crack and then he was shooting crack and then it was crazy. And the sober companion. Shooting crack. Shooting crack. How yeah. do you do that? He put no, you lemon to... juice in it. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Right, now we're teaching yeah. the kids how to shoot crack. Oh, they know. Oh, you got to anyway, boil it down and so, get all that stuff out of there. Yeah. The, but the lemon juice does something to it. It breaks so, it down. Yep. So, um, so Scott's holed up in his room. The Sober Companion comes, I'm not staying in the fancy big bands hotel, I'm around downtown, the guy comes over to my hotel and he says, you know, will you help me talk to him? And I go, dude, you're the one getting paid a thousand bucks a day, you're supposed to talk to him. A thousand bucks a day, I would like to do that. A thousand bucks a day, because when Scott went off the rails, it was over. Mm -hmm. There was not going to be any more sh sh touring, right? So 50 people were going to lose their jobs, everyone's going to go home, it was a nightmare. So I said, okay, well, he's, you're not going to be able to stop him tonight. And we were playing two nights in Portland. Second night was at the basketball arena there. And so I said, you know, I'll, see, I'll talk to him tomorrow. So I go to his room. He doesn't want to answer the door. He said, I'll meet you downstairs. We sit and he's hung over his fuck. And he's like, I really screwed up. And I go, dude, let's think about this though. You screwed up all on your own. That's fine. I love you. You're like a little brother to me. I love you. But all these people are going to have to go home. Oh, like he got, he got to get it together. And that did, he, he had the ability to be empathetic if you reminded him, <clears throat> because if he was just fighting with the managers of the band, that wasn't going to work. He was mm -hmm. just going to go home, but to make him think that, you know, the caterer is going to have to go home and they took this job over another job they could have gotten Scott and everybody's going to, so just hang out with me. So then he did and we got on track and we started having a meeting backstage after sound check and it was just kind of 
time consuming. But <laughs> but then but then what I became yeah. more resentful on is the tour we're on. The sober companion was still there making the money. I'm the one that fucking solved it that morning. A twelve step call is smart, called smart sober companion. What? Smart sober companion got you to do his he work and still make it. What? Mike, you gotta understand. <laughs> the bicycle thief was making five thousand dollars a night, and we had to pay for our transportation, pay for our accommodations, pay for our gas. So we were literally each getting like five hundred dollars a week, right? Playing four 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 shows a week, right? Yeah. I'm making five hundred dollars a week. The sober companion's making a thousand dollars a day, and I did his job for him. Oh, that's a bad sober companion. <laughs> Should have fired him. <laughs> no, I can't even believe there's just a a, a work doing that. Nice, How fucking crazy. Is that? No, I almost got a job going to Spain. I think I told you that, but I didn't have I didn't have my passport in order. Uh, you got to go fast. Well, yeah, but it was just one of those things where they go, "Well, you'd be going to um, where where was it? It's like uh, Tuscany or some." Wow, how great! And they is go, that? and they go. The guy works all day, so you would. You should have blogged about this. <laughs> they go, <laughs> but I was, I was only, I wasn't going to be making a thousand dollars a day. I was going to be making seven fifty a day. But it was, but it was going to be seven hundred and fifty dollars a day, Mike Mart. So, it's so, crazy. But it was the the idea was, is you go, you hang out with him. He, he drives into work. You take his car while he's at work. You don't have to worry about him. And then after work, you go wherever he goes to eat. And then you go back home with him. And he's just trying to, he just wants a little bit of buffer between him and drinking. And it was just like, oh man, I could do this. <laughs> let's, let's do this. How come Ryan Gorman doesn't do that? He'd probably be good at it. He too. is. He is. He would be good at it. Yeah. So let's let's, let's, let's a shout, give a shout out. And they had a tough tough January. The you know the death rate went up in Milwaukee. I know yeah, Patrick was disappointed die. about it. The don't die Milwaukee guys are still the gold standard of don't die. Don't ever forget it. Kevin's coming out here in a couple of weeks. I think we should have him on the podcast. We should schedule that, Mike. Oh, definitely. Kevin, Kevin Schaefer coming out that'd be great and then We're gonna have him on for i sure. predict let's use some prognostication i believe that patrick will be mayor of milwaukee someday i like I it i believe <laughs> we're gonna help ryan become a sober companion interventionist and let's, he will be world it, renowned i predict that he will be one of the most famous successful interventionist sober companions ever because he's so likable straight shooter no bullshit I think he has a career in that. So See, now this is positive affirmation. I okay. like it. I and like now, it. Kevin, I have I actually have an agenda with Kevin. <laughs> I want Kevin to move out here and work with us. Oh nice. But then it would break up Don't Die Wisconsin. So I'm I'm torn. Hmm. Yeah, you know, sometimes you gotta break up the band. <laughs> Nothing's going to break us up. Nobody wants the three of us. <laughs> nobody's, nobody's. No amount of success. You know what? <laughs> no, no amount of success or failure can break up the Bob, Chuck, Mike, don't die chapter. Oh well, Ryan, when you, Ryan, when you get that nothing. business up and running, let me know. I'll be your West Coast uh, leg. Love to I, all I would you guys, love man. To do it. I just those are my favorite guys in the United States of America, and I can say that with yay. Honest, you know, besides but, Mike and Chuck. Well, I mean, <laughs> we're just stuck together. Me and Mike have been stuck together since 1985. How the fuck did that happen? Oh, and here's Jesus. The, here's the thing: it always hasn't been this way where he's stuck to me. I was stuck to him. Let's talk about songs that Mike wrote about how pathetic I was. Oh uh, uh, no, I didn't do that. There's a friend of mine that sips and all. Uh, you no, dedicated to that to me when I was in the LA County Jail. Mike Murphy told me that. Oh uh, no, that <laughs> Wait, was. Wait, is that, that Mike Murphy? Uh, I had to leave a friend behind. Oh yeah, he had to leave a friend behind. Oh. He was like leaving me behind. Think about that. Mike's riding so high. The lyrics inter are, I, I had to leave a friend behind. The going got too hard. Oh, <laughs> oh. my God. <laughs> How sad is that? that? Is directly directed at Bob. Oh my God! And so I'm in LA County Jail. Two days after I get out, <laughs> <laughs> that's a great story. Bob. But we gotta go. Oh we my God! Out. I was I, he was looking down his nose at me. Oh, woo. 
Bye. There's a friend of mine that trips it around his fingertips. Oh, he's it's uh, louder. Wow. <laughs> Till next Bye. time. See you later. Bye. <laughs>